Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, and we'll be in chapter one, John chapter one. I don't know if you have been uh, to a big basketball game, maybe in a college or uh, a professional game. Uh, by the way, if you've not been to one of the SFA basketball games this year, you need to go. They're having a great year, and uh, we can be excited about that. But uh, if you go to these uh, big basketball games, and I know they do this to an extent at the SFA games, I've, I've been to a game where uh, they, they turn off all the lights before the game starts, and uh, then there's just silence in the auditorium, and, and, and then the fog machines, the smoke machines just fill the floor with this, uh, with this fog, and then this music starts that's just a chest pounding music and, and the anticipation, the suspense builds. And, and then there's a, a, an announcer with this booming radio voice who, who will say, uh, wearing number 27, six feet, seven inches tall from Houston, Houston, Texas, right guard, Andre Simone. And, and out he runs and everybody cheers. You know, they're, they're famous sometimes at these basketball games for their introductions. Well, when we turn to John chapter 1, that's, that's really what we see. Uh, the, uh, the disciple John, the uh, apostle John, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, introduces Jesus on the stage, and he does an excellent job. He, he goes all the way back to eternity past, and, and, and he talks about who Jesus was and who Jesus is, and he, he paints these four word pictures of Jesus. He says that Jesus is the Word, and that Jesus is the light, and that Jesus is flesh, and that Jesus is the lamb, and he, and he, and he introduces to us Jesus. And, and it's one of the most exciting passages, I think, in Scripture. This week in preparation for this message, I just read it over and over and over, this introduction of Jesus. And, and so in the month of December, what, what we are trying to do is just to take these verses, 29 verses, and allow these verses to introduce to us anew Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm not probably going to tell you anything today that you don't already know. Uh, the goal of the message today is not education. You've been around here for very many years. You will know everything I say today. You, you're, you're familiar with the facts. Uh, I, I'm not going to... I, I, I'm not going to let my goal this morning be transformation. I'm not really going to tell you anything that you need to do. The goal today is just inspiration. I want us to stand amazed again at who Jesus is. And as we celebrate Christmas, I, I, I want this Christmas to be different perhaps than other Christmases because I want us to have this fresh appreciation and amazement at the person of Jesus Christ. And so turn with me to John chapter one. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you, it's 900, page 941. John chapter one, I wanna begin reading in verse four. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now we're gonna read on, but you really have to get that first verse to appreciate the verses that follow. So look at it again. In him was life, and the life was the light. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And he goes on, the light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light gives light to everyone. And that light was coming into the world. And so here's the, the part of the introduction where, where John tells us that Jesus is the light. Now to understand this, let's just take this fourth verse and, and look at it phrase at a time. It begins by saying, in him was life. In Jesus is life. Now what he's telling us is that Jesus is the source of life. And, and not just physical life, of course, Jesus is the source of physical life, but specifically here, he's talking about spiritual life. Where do we find spiritual life? Where does it come from? What is its source? And he says, Jesus is the life. Now, to understand what spiritual life is, I think we have to first understand what spiritual death is. I, th I think to, to appreciate spiritual life, you have to look at its opposite, spiritual death. The Bible says much about spiritual death. And if we're going to define spiritual death, I think we do so with the three S's. Spiritual death means separation from God. It means that you're a slave to sin. And that it means that you're on the sure road to hell. To, to be spiritually dead means that you're separated from God because of your sin. You understand that? Sin separates you from God because God is holy and we are not. So if you're spiritually dead, you're separated from God. You are a slave to sin, the Bible says, that sin has its way in your life. You sin because you're a sinner. And then finally, you're on the sure path to hell. Spiritual death always ends in hell. Now, the Bible says that everybody starts out spiritually dead. That most people you know are spiritually dead. They are dead, the Bible says, in their sins. Ephesians 2.1 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So if you know somebody, if you are somebody who is not walking with Christ, then the Bible says that you are dead in your sins. Now here's why that's important. Most people who are not walking with Christ don't see themselves as dead. They don't, they don't see that is a reality in their lives. They think that they might be weak. They, they might call themselves sick, but they don't see themselves as dead. And really to understand that Jesus is the life, we have to first understand the seriousness of the fact that apart from Christ, we are all dead, completely dead in our sins, separated from God, slave to sin, and on the sure road to hell. And so if you're not walking with Christ, you are spiritually dead. Now, if you know you're dead, there's only one solution to that, right? If, if, if you have a dead person and you want to help the dead person, there's only one thing you can do for a dead person. Do you know what it is? They need resurrection. They, they don't need anything else. They don't need to go on a diet, okay? They don't need to take a nap. They don't need to take a pill. If they're dead, the only solution is resurrection. So, so here's the problem. People apart from Christ are dead. And since they are dead, 
the only hope they have is Jesus because Jesus is the source of life. The problem, though, is that people who are dead don't think they're dead. They think they're sick. They don't think they're dead. They think they're weak. And if you think you're sick, if you think you're weak, then there are a lot of things you could do for a person like that, right? If you think you're just weak, then maybe you would make a commitment to improve yourself over the next few weeks or months. Maybe you would fix yourself. Maybe you'd go read a self-help book. Maybe you'd go find an accountability partner. Maybe you'd make a New Year's resolution. Maybe you'd try harder, turn over a new leaf, remake yourself. And so there's so many people in Nacogdoches County, and that's their strategy. They're, they want to improve themselves because they think that they're just sick. They think that they're just weak. But the Bible says, no, that they, apart from Christ, are dead. And when you're dead, there's only one solution, and that is to go to the source of, of life. That's Jesus. You know, most of the people in Nacogdoches County who go to a Christless grave and live eternity separated from God go to that grave with every intention to improve themselves, not knowing that no improvement will help someone who is dead. But, 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 but that's hard, to, hard, I think, sometimes for people to grasp because we think that, uh, that certainly our neighbor's not dead because he's a pretty nice fellow. We, we, we don't think in terms of spiritual death, but that's what the Bible teaches. Are, are there different levels of death? Maybe, maybe we know some people who are spiritually dead, but they're just a little bit dead. Can you be just a little bit dead? No. Well, we got a bunch of doctors here. I guess we could have called them up here and just quizzed them. Can you be just a little bit dead? No, dead is dead, right? If, if you look at the life of Jesus, three different times Jesus resurrected somebody from the dead. Did you know that? Three times Jesus raised somebody from the dead. Uh, one time was Jairus's daughter, and she had just died just, just a very short time before before Jesus went to see her and Jesus just took her by the hand and gave her physical life and she stood and she was alive. It was resurrection. And then uh, Jesus um, uh, raised a dead man from Nain, that's his hometown, and uh, Jesus encountered this man as they were in the funeral procession, okay? He, he had been dead for a little longer. And, and he was headed to the grave. And so Jesus sees him in the funeral possession and, and gives him new life. And then, of course, the one everybody's familiar with, Lazarus. How long had Lazarus been dead when Jesus raised him? Four days. Okay, so let's think about those three people. Uh, the first one, the girl, she didn't even look dead. She looked like she was asleep because she had just died. The second one looked dead, okay? He had been dead for a day or so. He was, he was headed to the, to the cemetery. He looked dead. The third one smelled dead, okay? I mean, he had been dead for four days. There was no doubt. He, he smelled dead. But all three of them were dead. You understand? Now, you might say of, of your neighbor, uh, who is not walking with Christ, that she's not dead. She's, she, she, she is a, um, she, she's dependable and she's honest and she has a key to my home and, and, and she, she watches after us and she's, I've always known her family and they're real. She, she, she might not be walking with Christ, but she's not dead. 
But listen, she is dead. She's not walking with Christ. She's dead. She might not look dead, but she's dead. You might say, well, my grandson, he's not dead. I mean, I took him to Bible school every, every year when he, was a, when he was just a little boy. And he's always respectful of his grandmother. He's always so nice when he comes over for Christmas. He's not dead. Well, listen, if he's not walking with Christ, he's dead. You might say, well, my friend at work, she's not dead. Listen, she, she's faithful to her husband. She loves her children. She's generous with her coworkers. But dead is dead. 1 John 5, 12 says, the one who has the son has life. The one who has the son has Jesus, has life. The one who does not have the son does not have life. And so when Jesus says he is the life, to, to appreciate what that means, we have to understand what spiritual death is. And many of the people around us, even people here in this room t- this morning, many people we know are spiritually dead. And their only hope is to have an encounter with the one who is life. So let's talk about spiritual life. If Jesus is life, spiritual life, what does that mean? Well, in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. We we looked at a verse at the end of the book of John last week that really sums up the whole book. It says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is the source of life. And if we're walking with Christ, we have the qualities of life, spiritual life. That's forgiveness and the peace of knowing that no sin separates us from God because Jesus has paid it all. It's knowing that that we have peace instead of fear, that nothing can stand between us and God. It it is, spiritual life is having strength to know that with God's help that we can face anything. Spiritual life is having joy. There's such a, a, a dearth of joy in our world. So many people today complain that they just don't have joy. In, with spiritual life, there is joy. And so, it says in verse 4, just as we're trying to understand the, the, the setup of this, it says, in him is life. In him is life. The only hope we have, real spiritual life, is found in Jesus. But then at the end of verse 4, it, it says this, and the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. I wish you could go in my office this morning. I, I, I took this... Uh, this, this verse four and, and really the rest of it. And I, I tried to draw it on a big whiteboard, just trying to, trying to understand exactly what this means, that Jesus is the life and the life is the light. And, and what, what all does that tell us? And, and it's fascinating. I want us to spend some time on this this morning. What does it mean that Jesus is the light? Well, you know, we learn things by comparison. I know we have a lot of educators in in the church, and so you know this. The way people learn things is by comparing. If we're teaching a child how to read, I'm sorry, if we're teaching a child how to speak, you know, a small child, then what do we do? We hold a round object, you know, that the child is familiar with, and we say, ball, ball, or daddy. And so we say the word, and then we point to something, we say the word that the child is not familiar with, and we point to something that the child is familiar with, and we try to connect the two. That's how kids learn to speak. If, if you look at how we express things, just in our everyday talking, you'll see that the, that the most expressive way 
to communicate is always a comparison. We say that something is as big as a whale or that uh, she is as mean as a snake or he is as strong as an ox. We're always comparing something. That's how we learn things. If you look at how Jesus teaches, Jesus, when he wanted to communicate something that was difficult to understand, would almost always compare it with something else. He would say, uh, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed or like a, a, uh, a farmer sowing seed in a field. He was always taking something that they did understand and comparing it with something that they didn't understand to help them see a spiritual truth. In fact, John does this here in the introduction. So he tells us four things about Jesus, that Jesus is the word. Now that is a, uh, that is a comparison, right? Jesus wasn't actually a word. I mean, he's not like seven letters in a dictionary. It, it's not Jesus is the word. Jesus is like a word. And then he says, we see here that Jesus is the light. Well, Jesus is not actually a beam of light. No, Jesus is like a light. And then he's going to say, Jesus is flesh. Now that's not an analogy. Jesus is flesh. But then he'll end, we'll see uh, on Christmas Eve night, that Jesus is the lamb. Well, Jesus isn't actually a lamb. He wasn't incarnated as a lamb, but Jesus is like a lamb. And so the Bible is always teaching us by taking something that we do understand and comparing it with something that we don't understand in order to help us understand it. And so here he says that Jesus is light. Now, we know some things about light. And so when we look at what, the, what we know about light, we can learn what it means that Jesus is life. You understand that? So, so the first premise he gives us is that Jesus is life. And how he explains that to us is by saying Jesus is light. And you can understand light so you can understand life. And so what does it mean that Jesus is the light of Christ? That Jesus is the light. Well, three things I want you to see right from this passage. Number one, it sh Jesus shines in the darkness. I mean, we know about light, physical light. What does physical light do? It shines. If you have a flashlight and you, and you point it toward the darkness and turn it on, that light penetrates that darkness and reveals things. What Jesus, when it says Jesus is life, what, he, what we see here is that Jesus penetrates the darkness. Now, darkness always means sin in the Bible. Darkness refers to sinfulness in the Bible. And so what it says is that Jesus is the one by his presence, by his example, and by his spirit, the Holy Spirit, Jesus penetrates sinfulness. He exposes sinfulness. Sort of like a flashlight sweeping across a room, the presence of Jesus sweeps across our hearts and sweeps across our world and exposes sin. He is light and his life exposes sin like light penetrates the darkness. Now, th there are two things that happen when our sin is exposed by the light of Christ. The, the first one is this, conviction. When, when, when Jesus shines into our light, into our lives, there's conviction. When, when, our, when our darkness is exposed, there's conviction. The second thing is there's repulsion. So let's take these one at a time. What is conviction? Conviction is that sense of guilt or shame 
that drives us toward confession and repentance. And so the Bible says that because Jesus is light, when we are exposed to Jesus, we feel guilt and shame because of the sin that's in our lives and that the purpose of that is to lead us to confess and repent of our sins. So conviction happens when we're exposed to the life of Christ. And so when we talk about, when you learn about, when we read about that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, that he was a man of integrity and a man of purity and a man of faithfulness, the comparison between his life and our lives brings conviction. Jesus brings conviction in our lives when we talk about his death. The Bible says that if we lift Jesus high, that he will draw all men unto him. And one of the things that's talking about is our focus on the crucifixion of Christ. That's why churches talk so much about the crucifixion. That's why we put up crosses to remind people of the crucifixion. Because as we're exposed to the story of the crucifixion of Christ, it is like a bright light shining into the darkness of our hearts. And it brings conviction of sin. And then when we're exposed to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, that's why we pray for friends who are not walking with Jesus, because we want them to experience the Holy Spirit just working in their lives. One of the reasons we come to church is because I believe as we hear the Word of God preached, the Holy Spirit, as the teacher of God's Word, convicts people's hearts. That is, He shines into their hearts and exposes their sin and brings brings conviction into their lives. So what do we do when we encounter Jesus by, by in, in a sermon and reading and a story, when we encounter Jesus and his spirit and we feel conviction, what should we do? Well, we should run to Jesus. Remember, he is the only source of light, life. We should run to Jesus. And so one of the things that happens when the light shines into darkness is it brings conviction. The other thing is it, it brings repulsion. Have you ever, and I know you have, been in a real dark room and then somebody after a while turns on a bright light? I know I experienced this this morning. I got up this morning and I, I walked, uh, my, the bedroom of course was, was uh, very dark and then I walked into uh, my bathroom and I reached over and I turned the switch on and the lights came on and what do you think it did? I shielded my eyes. I, I flinched a little bit. I knew it was coming, but, it, but, but I still just intuitively, I, I shielded myself from the light because I, I was in darkness and all of a sudden there was light and that's an uncomfortable thing. And, and so when Jesus shines his light into the world, people in darkness, they, they're repulsed by that. Why is that? Well, because light exposes sin. Uh, in, in John chapter 3, it gives us some more information. It says this, the light has come into the world, speaking of Jesus, the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, that explains the animosity that people have in this world toward Jesus. Have you noticed how many people are just offended by Jesus? Have you, have you wondered why? If they think Jesus is, is a fable, if they think it's just a myth, when they hear us talk about Jesus, why don't they just roll their eyes and go on? Why are people so offended by Jesus? I hear people say things all the time I disagree with. It, it doesn't make me want to protest. It doesn't make me want to file a lawsuit against them. I'm not offended because people believe stupid things. If, if, they, if, if, they don't, if they don't think there's anything to Jesus, why are they so offended 
By us speaking of Jesus. Well, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is the light. And when they hear the name Jesus, it's, it's a light that exposes the sin within their heart. And, and, and like I shielded my eyes this morning from the lights in my bathroom, they, they intuitively want to shield themselves from, from the light of, of, of Jesus. That's why people are so offended when we pray in Jesus' name. Have you ever wondered just how silly that sounds? If I were an atheist and you showed up and prayed, I wouldn't care whose name you prayed in. But people are offended when we pray in Jesus' name. You know, as a pastor, sometimes I get asked to go and, and pray at civic events, uh, like all pastors do. And, and, and I can just tell you right now, don't ask me to come pray at your event and then tell me I can't pray in Jesus' name. I don't know another name to pray in, right? If, if you need somebody to pray in a different way, I just don't know enough about it to do it. You need to get somebody else that knows how to do that. The only name I know to pray in is Jesus. And I don't understand why people are so offended by that. Or I guess I do understand because Jesus is the light. That's why people are so upset about Christian symbols. I've heard even in the last couple of weeks, more lawsuits filed because somebody put a, a, a nativity scene in a public in a public place. Listen, if you don't believe in Jesus, why are you any more bothered by a nativity scene than you are a Star Wars scene? Okay? I mean, if, it's, if, if you don't believe in it, you don't believe in it. But they are offended by it because Jesus is the light. So what should we do? You know, many people, even in churches today, are saying that we should hide or dim our lights. They, they say that we should be careful not to offend people. And, and certainly, we shouldn't offend people for, simply for the purpose of offending people. But, but, but it is our responsibility to hold high the light of Jesus. And if somebody is offended because of the light of Jesus, then, then that's a problem with their sin, not a problem with our message Jesus is the light, and that bothers people. I, I know it's not as big a problem here in Texas as it is in Ohio, but so many churches today are, are removing the crosses from their churches. Have you heard of churches doing that? It's a, it's a big issue in, in Ohio where I, where I came from a year ago. Uh, churches, I, I think sometimes pastors with good intentions, uh, maybe not always, but uh, often with good intentions, just wrong actions, they, they say, we don't want to offend anybody in our community. We'd rather come and, and hear a message of love rather than, than not come because there's a cross on the outside of the building. Well, listen, the reason people are offended by the cross is because Jesus is the light. And we can't change that. We don't desire to change that. That is one of the reasons we marvel about Jesus. He is the light. John 12, 46, Jesus says, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. That's our task is that people wouldn't remain in darkness. Can't hide our light. Matthew 5, Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather he puts it on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. So Jesus is the light and that means he shines in a darkness. Now, the second thing it means is this. He points the way to salvation. Now, I want us to go back to John chapter 1, read a couple more verses. Verse 6 says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, that's a different John than the John who wrote this. That can be confusing. Uh, but, but he says, there was a man sent from God, and his name too was John. 
Verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He says, John came to tell people about the light for this purpose. When they heard about the light, they might believe in Jesus. When the Bible says that Jesus is the light, it means this, that Jesus points the way to salvation. You know, we use lights all the time to point people to a safe path. I mean, if you go to a commercial building and the power goes out, what comes on in that room? Do you know? Exit signs. And you see them because they're lit, right? And, and so the, the purpose of having those lit or lighted exit signs is so that you can, in the dark, find a safe egress from the room, right? And so the light is to help you find a safe path. Years ago, we used um, lighthouses so that ships could find a safe passage through a harbor. Uh, we, we today use uh, lighted beacons on um, detour signs. So if you're coming up on some road construction, you can find a safe path around uh, the, the obstacle. So a light is something can be used as something that helps us determine the right path. And when it says Jesus is the light, one of the things it's talking about is that he shows us the right path for salvation. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the path, and he exposes the path so that people can come to have a right relationship with God. Now, many people are trying to forge their own path just in darkness, or they're following someone who has forged a path in darkness. But the Bible says, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And most people are on that road. Most people are going down their own path. But narrow is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life and few people find it. Jesus is the light, meaning he points the way to salvation. You know, the world has a lot of arguments um, that lead people astray. Have you ever heard somebody stand and, and, and talk about all the world religions as different pathways to the top of the same mountain? Have you ever heard that illustration? You know, just because somebody has a good illustration doesn't mean they're telling you the truth, right? And, and so I, I've heard people talk about, you, you, you go up to a mountain and, and you're, you're facing a pathway that'll get you from the bottom to the top and, and it will certainly get you from the bottom to the top. But they say if you walk around that mountain, what you will discover is that there are many other pathways and they have different starting places and they take different, different turns and, and different paths, but they all get to the top of the same mountain. And so Christianity is one of those paths. But there are many other ways to get to the top of the, top of the mountain. Uh, the only problem with that is, uh, as good as the illustration is, it's just, it, just, it just doesn't comport with Scripture. It's just different from what the Word of God says. And by the way, it's also different from what the, what the religious texts of all those other false religions say. Have you ever seen somebody, and I'll be careful here because I, I know I'll offend somebody, but uh, I, I do this somewhat innocently. Uh, you ever seen somebody with one of those bumper stickers that says coexist 
on the back of their car. You see a lot of them even here in Nacogdoches. But, uh, and, and the word coexist is spelled uh, by using the symbols of world religion. Do you know what I'm talking about? Don't raise your hand if you have one because you'll ruin my illustration. And, and the message of that bumper sticker is that all those world religions who are represented by those symbols that they use to spell out, C-O-E, you know, to spell out the word coexist. The idea is that, that, that if we were just uh, enlightened enough that we could just all coexist. We could just all see that we're different paths up the same mountain. Now, the problem with that is that, uh, that there has never been a more stupid bumper sticker attached to the rear of a vehicle. Uh, because, you, I mean, coexist, I mean, I guess if you, if you look at it in the sense that we shouldn't be shooting each other, absolutely. But, but if you mean by coexist that we could somehow be, be different paths to the same mountaintop, that's not intellectually honest. Because Jesus says that there's only one way and that every other way goes to a different place. It's a different mountain. It's a different destination. And by the way, most of those other ways say the same thing. They say that everybody else is wrong. You can't, they can't all be right. If what Jesus says is right, then all the others are wrong. And if what any of the others say is right, then what Jesus said was a lie. See, Jesus says, I am the light, meaning that I, I, uh, I point the way to have a right relationship with the Father to be, to be saved. Well, what, is that, what is that way? Do you know? What, what is the way of salvation that Jesus points to? Well, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus has a light. I mean, you know, I have a light and that could be written about me. That could be written about you, that I have a light. I can point you to, uh, to salvation, but I don't, but if I point you to salvation, I'm using a light that I have. The Bible is a light. Uh, when I talk about Jesus, I can, I can use the light of Jesus and point you, but I'm not the light. I just have a light, but the Bible doesn't say Jesus has a light. It says what? That Jesus is the light. Jesus isn't pointing to the way of salvation as much as Jesus is the way of salvation. Does that make sense? No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus says. The way that Jesus points to is the way of Jesus that we have to trust in who he is and what he did for us on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, that we have to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus to make Jesus the master of our lives. Jesus is the way. Well, very quickly, number three, what does it mean that Jesus is the light? It means he provides for safe travel through life. Now, we live in a, in a very dark world, and there are dangers to be feared, and there are hazards to be avoided. And so Jesus, in this dark world, is our light. Uh, in, in a couple of ways. First of all, he's the light that keeps us spiritually safe. You ever been in a dark place and been fearful? You know, dark sort of equals fear in a lot of ways. I remember years ago, um, my family and I were in Cleveland, Ohio, one of my girls had a dance competition, and I think we were staying overnight. We were in downtown Cleveland, uh, but whether we spent the night there or not, I, I remember we left our hotel and we went to a, uh, a restaurant that was just two or three blocks away, 
And so we started walking uh, down the darkened streets of Cleveland, Ohio, and we got in a big crowd of people that we didn't expect. And and it was dark, and we didn't know what was going on. And I remember I had, we just there were just four of us then, but uh, two of my girls were very, very young. And, and, you know, I was fearful. I was in the dark, and I was fearful. I didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know, here we are amongst, uh, you know, a crowd of rowdy people and in the dark. And it, it, when we get in the dark, we can be fearful. I can remember a few times coming home, Don and I would be out late at night, and uh, we would come home from some event and we would have left the girls home when they were younger. And a couple of times when we came home, uh, we could, uh, we'd pull up in the driveway. And if you knew me better, you'd know this is just bothers me to the core, but I'd pull up to the driveway and every single light in the house would be on. I mean, every light, I mean, you'd go in, the, the bathroom lights were on, the bedroom lights were on, the closet lights were on, every light in the house was on. And, but you know why? Because there's something comforting about the light, right? If you get scared in your house in the middle of the night and you're a kid, I mean, it just makes sense. We'll turn the lights on and we won't be scared. Um, with Jesus in this fearful world, Jesus is our light. And if we will walk with Christ, our fear will go away. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I dread? I, I didn't ask permission to share this story. I hope it's okay. But I, I had a meeting with somebody in our church uh, a few months ago who has ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And I don't know if you know a lot about that, but it's uh, very often a, uh, almost always a fatal disease after uh, uh, two or three years. And and so I really, I, I wanted to minister to the family, but I was... I was um, I was nervous. I was nervous. I didn't know what I was going to say. Uh, I've never counseled with somebody with ALS before. Uh, so I, I studied the night before I read everything I could read about ALS. I, I found some blogs online where some men who had ALS had blogged every day about their new symptoms and their struggles right until the day they died. And I had read those and, uh, and that was not comforting. It just upset me even more. And I was very nervous. I, I, I waited and, and waited for the, for the time for the appointment to arrive. And then I, I went from my upstairs office to my downstairs office where I meet with people. And, and uh, he and his wife came in and we sat down and uh, we started to talk. And then quickly, I could tell this was not going to be the kind of meeting I thought it was going to be. Because he had no fear at all. No fear of death, no fear of the process of dying, no, no fear at all. And I was taken aback at that. And I, I've not really shared this with him like this, and he may be here and I don't see him right now, but um, I, I left there thinking this is so different than what I expected. How can that man have no fear? Well, I'll tell you how. Because when you walk with Jesus, he is the light that drives away fear. He's the light that drives away fear. He also is the guide that keeps us on the best path. I'm very much out of time, but I'll give you one verse. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. 
If we will walk with Jesus, he will show us the way to go. I read this week a story about something that happened in World War II in the North Atlantic. It was an aircraft carrier. Uh, the captain had received a warning that there were enemy submarines in the area. It was dusk, the, the sun was setting. And that was a scary thing uh, because uh, as big and mighty as the aircraft carrier was, it could be sunk by one of these enemy submarines and thousands of soldiers would die. And so he sent five aircraft off the deck of that plane to go and search for those submarines. And so five fighter pilots in their in their in their airplanes, uh, some of the finest equipment, some of the finest men that we had took off and began to look for those submarines. Well, uh, darkness came and uh, the, the airplanes had not returned. And then the captain receives another warning that the submarines may be closer than anticipated. And so he gave the order for a total blackout on the aircraft carrier, that every light, every light be extinguished, no exceptions, so that the submarines might not find uh, the ship. And so they extinguish every light. And then a short time after that, the five planes return. And they radioed in to the aircraft carrier, we have returned, you need to turn a light on so we can find you and land. And the radio, Control person said, I'm sorry, but uh, we're under blackout conditions. We can turn on no lights. And so the second pilot radioed in and said, you don't understand. We don't know where you are. And without a light, a light, we can't find you. There's nowhere else to land. You're our only hope. And the radio man said, I'm sorry, but we're under blackout conditions. And then the third pilot said, listen, just give us the smallest light just the smallest light and it'll penetrate the darkness and, and we will find you and we will land. And the radio control person said, I'm sorry, but we're under orders, no light. And he turned off the radio. And as the story goes, these five pilots had no choice. They, they flew around till they ran out of fuel and they crashed into the North Atlantic and the planes were lost and the men died. And Oh, the, the obvious uh, lesson of the story is that without some light, they were hopeless. And, you know, for us in this world, separated from God, without some light to show us where to land, we are hopeless. But the good news is verse 9 that we read a moment ago. The true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. See, that's what Christmas is about, that there is a light and we can land safely if we'll just go to the light of Jesus Christ. Head bowed, eyes closed, let me pray. Father, it's... Um, there's so much in scripture to learn, to marvel at. There are intricacies that we can study. Uh, there are um, mysteries that we can unravel. And, and, and there's a time and a place for all of that. But today, our goal is not 
education or transformation, our first goal is just inspiration that we would stand amazed at Jesus. You tell us that Jesus is the life in Jesus is life. That's hard to understand. So you explain it by telling us he is the light that shines into darkness. He is the light that shows us the way of salvation. He is the light that dispels fear. He is the light that shows us the safe paths to travel down. So Father, as we fly around in this world, this world of darkness, help us to look for and to find the light of Jesus, to marvel at who he is and to hold tightly to what his light can do in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.